0: Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Well, I want to begin with just a word of orientation to the series we're about to get into, the series on fasting. Is anyone excited? Do I hear any excitement? Okay, great. Um, Typically, when we preach here, just for you all to know, we do exegetical preaching. We go through the lectionary, and we look at a passage, and we explore it. Lent, our sermons are going to be decidedly topical. We're going to be laser-focused on fasting. Others of you aren't going to be fasting. You're going to be abstaining. If you're over 60, or you're under 18, or you're pregnant, or you have health issues, or for any other reason, you might want to abstain, which is different from fasting, and we'll get into that distinction. And last, this is not going to be standard at all, but for this series, I'm going to be teaching largely someone else's content for a very particular purpose. I want to introduce you and hopefully stir up excitement for this curriculum we're going to be engaging this summer and beyond called Practicing the Way. So I want to give you a glimpse of this curriculum, its content, its richness, as we're going to be inviting you into it. It's content I vetted and believe in. But um, you know, they say genius is actually just forgetting your sources. That's also plagiarism. So my source, my source is John Mark Comer's "Practicing the Way." I will be obviously adapting it here and there, but largely it's drawing on that. Okay, so the table is set. Well, some meals are just very unforgettable. Have you ever eaten a meal that just has stuck with you that you can look back to and think that meal was that was a meal, that was a feast. For me, when I was in college, we went to um, I think it was in college when we went to Seattle. Yeah. So we were eating at the restaurant at the top of the Space Needle. Have any of you been there? Is it still there? I don't know. But at the time, it blew my mind. And I remember looking out over Seattle and having a seared ahi tuna steak, freshly caught with garlic wasabi mashed potatoes. And the meal just blew my mind. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, of course, all of us are much more comfortable feasting than fasting. And yet, we're trying to follow Jesus, aren't we? Last week, we defined discipleship this way. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus, and an apprentice of Jesus is someone who, their whole life really is organized under three categories. Someone who wants to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do as he did. Be with him, become like him, do as he did. An apprentice of Jesus is to adopt his overall lifestyle to Christ's lifestyle in order to open up your whole life to God so that he can transform you into the, from the inside out. Well, of course, Jesus feasted. We know that, right? He came eating and drinking. People called him a drunkard. Of course, he feasted. He left us with a table and bread and wine to remember him by. But the point is, he also fasted. He began his ministry with a 40-day fast in the wilderness, didn't he? And when the devil tempted him to eat, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. He said, I have I have food, I have bread that you know not of. All through the biographies of Jesus, we read stories of him fasting. And yet today, most Christians, most apprentices of Jesus, who are trying to live the kind of life Jesus lived and and, and model their lives after him, very few of them fast, like Christ did. By some estimates, half of those in Western Western Christians have never fasted a single day in their life. Less than 2% have fasted on a weekly basis. And so the truth is, you're more likely to hear about fasting from a fitness guru or a life coach or a wellness expert or a Muslim than from from a Christian. Not to mention, many of us in the West have an unhealthy relationship with food or, or to our bodies, and so just the idea of fasting is sort of a trigger, body shame or ongoing struggles with eating disorders. And so if you don't have much experience with fasting or you have a lot of fears and questions or hesitations, just know that you're not alone, not at all. Fasting has basically disappeared from Christian spirituality in the West, and that's part of why I want to do this series. It's such an essential and beautiful practice that I want to invite us into. But most of us at the outset, before we learn about it, we don't really want much to do with fasting. We don't really understand it. But what if we're missing out? What if we're missing out on one of the most important of all the practices of apprentices of Jesus? So we heard Matthew 6 read this morning. When you fast, says Jesus. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who is unseen... Sorry, let me try that again. Only your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So, notice two things. When you fast, says Jesus. Not if you fast. Jesus assumes his disciples will practice fasting. And second, Jesus says, when you fast, the Father will what? He will reward you. Meaning there's a gift waiting for you on the other side of fasting. Now, most followers of Jesus in the West don't fast. We've said that. But listen, we used to. Follow me on a little trip through history. Let me give you a brief history of fasting. This isn't novel. This isn't strange. This is what the church has always done. Fasting is actually, even today, a part of every major religion in the world. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, most indigenous religions, there's fasting in all of them. But the first mention in all of human history of fasting actually comes from the book of Exodus and Moses. Moses. Moses' 40-day fast on the top of Mount Sinai, followed by the command for all of Israel to fast on the Day of Atonement to Yom Kippur. And then there are stories all throughout our Old Testament of all the major characters, Moses and David and Samuel and Esther and the prophets. They all fast routinely. And by the time of Jesus, it's common practice for Jewish people to fast at least twice a week until sundown on Mondays and Thursdays. Well, the early Christians continued this practice. In the very first writing that we have outside the New Testament, it's called the didache, fasting was commanded on Wednesdays and Fridays and for two full days if you're preparing for baptism. Almost all the church fathers taught on fasting. So the first Christians took fasting very seriously, so seriously, in fact, that they had to regulate it. They had to to tell people, stop fasting, you're fasting too much. So in in 380 AD, the, the constitutions of the holy apostles put it this way. If any one of the clergy be found to fast on the Lord's day, let him be deprived. But if he be one of the laity, let him be suspended. In other words, clergy are fasting too much, and lady, you're fasting too much, and you may not fast on Sunday. Why? Well, the point of fasting isn't an end unto itself. We fast so that we can ultimately feast on Christ. And Resurrection Sunday is the day we feast on Christ. No fasting on Resurrection Sundays. So if you're here on Ash Wednesday... Cindy shared that Lent is actually 46 days. We fast for 40 of them. The six days are Sundays, and we feast on Sundays. So please feast this afternoon. Please feast tonight and enjoy the gifts God has given you. And please feast here in a moment at his table. Lent, these 40 days of fasting we're now entering into, these were actually, in the early church, full-day fasts every day, all 40 days until sundown, and the, modern practi- the Muslim practice of Ramadan is actually patterned after Lent, the Christian practice of Lent. The point is simple. The church has always fasted. There were regular one-day fasts, Wednesdays and Fridays, longer fasts like Lent, and for millennia this went on. Until recently, things started tapering off. In the 18th century, the Anglican John Wesley, our Anglican forefather, he lamented, he says, I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and in Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week as they should that they do not fast twice in a month. And he's outraged. (laughs) Wesley fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays, and like the early Christians, he refused to ordain any pastor to the ministry who didn't do the same. Now, this isn't to argue that Wesley was necessarily right to do so, Just to establish the facts, followers of Jesus used to fast a lot. It was considered just as central to the way of Jesus as reading your Bible or going to church. And it still is, actually, outside of the West in most areas of the world. Fasting is vigorously practiced in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Coptic Christians in Egypt, the Dalit in India and in Iran, and especially in Africa. Many churches in Africa fast the first 50 days of every new year together until sundown. Would you mind... I'm feeling very distracted by a conversation. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay. <clears throat> the point is this. Fasting is one of the most essential and powerful practices of the Church of Jesus. And arguably the single most neglected in the modern Western Church. Powerful and neglected. So many of the saints testify to the power. Here's a great quote from St. Basil the Great in the 4th century. I think I've got Great, thank you. Fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. She is a safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the brave, and a discipline for champions. Fasting repels temptations, anoints for godliness. She is a companion for sobriety, the crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. In peace, she teaches tranquility. And so what we have here is the life of Jesus, the writings of Scripture, the voice of the global church, and the teachings of the saints throughout church history all saying in united chorus, fasting is essential and powerful. So that's my case as to why we should give it a go. Let's cover the basics. What is it? Well, first off, what isn't it? As I've already said, it's not abstinence. I regularly hear people talk about, well, I've talked about a lot in the past at least, Fasting from Amazon or shopping or social media or from my phone, great things to do, but that's not fasting. That's abstinence. That has a long and rich history in the church. And again, for those of you who might need to do that instead of fast, go for it. It's wonderful. But it's not fasting. Fasting is also not restricted diets. You know, the Daniel fast is not actually a fast. It's the wrong name. A restricted diet is a restricted diet. It's abstaining. It's not fasting. Fasting is, at its most basic, not eating food. Not eating food, though I encourage you to drink lots of water. Well, how long is a fast? There's no set time. The most common fast is from waking until sundown, but there are examples in scriptures of two-day fasts and three-day fasts and seven-day fasts and 40-day fasts. When do you fast? Again, it's not commanded, so you don't have to at all. That's up to you, but in scripture and in history, there are basically two kinds of fasting. There's fasting as rhythm and fasting as response. So we've already covered rhythm. The church fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays, or during Lent daily, or Fridays daily. And response, we see all kinds of examples in Scripture of something happening, like a a war, an invasion, or a national tragedy, or corporate repentance, and then people, uh, the whole people of God, fasting and repenting together. So when King Saul dies, or when Nineveh is warned of destruction, or um, in Esther, the Hebrew people are threatened with genocide, and everyone fasts and they're saved. So rhythm and response. Well, do we fast in community or do we fast alone? Many of us maybe misread, in in some ways, this this teaching of Jesus from Matthew 6. He's not saying that fasting in community is wrong like no one else can possibly know that you're fasting. He's saying that fasting as virtue signaling is wrong. We're not fasting to put on a religious show. We're not doing it to impress other people. Ultimately, it is between us and the Lord, and we can do that as a community. But finally, we come to the most important question of all. Why? Why? Why do we fast? Now there are all sorts of reasons, but to try to group them into four categories, here they are. We fast to offer ourselves to Jesus, and that's the reason we fast. The other reasons we fast to grow in holiness, to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor. And that's the sermon series in a nutshell plus a capstone. But we begin with just the most central reason. We fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. As I said, the early Christians continued the Jewish practice of fasting Thursdays and and, um, Mondays and Thursdays, but they adapted it and changed it to Wednesdays and Fridays. Why? Because Wednesday was the day that Christ was betrayed by Judas, and Friday was the day that he was crucified. And so the early disciples were participating at a bodily level, a primal level, with the sufferings of Christ. They were intentionally adapting this pattern laid down by Jesus of dying to self and rising to life in God. Not out of hate for the body or not out of hate of pleasure, but out of a a burning desire and conviction to be with Jesus and to become like him, to apprentice him. And this is the ultimate reason for fasting, to hunger for Jesus and for his transformation. One pastor calls fasting whole body hungering for God. Or Scott McKnight, he calls fasting body talk, uh, a a way of praying with our whole body, of letting our bodies talk. God, I hunger for you. I want you. I need you more than bread. And now, many of us, we may not really feel hungry for God, Uh, especially if there's really like poignant ongoing struggles with specific sins or other things that are kind of consuming us. Maybe we feel distanced from God. We feel apathetic towards God. And that's exactly why fasting could be such an important discipline for you. Because if we feel apathetic for God, often it's because we're just trying to satisfy ourselves with other things. You know, it's like sugar. When you just eat a lot of sugar, you're not hungry for anything that actually, you actually need anymore because you're just satisfied with sugar. But it isn't ultimately satisfying. Fasting makes room for our real hungers to arise, to help us get in touch with what we really need, the Lord Christ himself. So if if you if you are feeling a little apathetic, then I'd encourage you to give fasting a shot. You know, for weeks now, I really have been sensing this invitation from Jesus to me, and I think to us as a church, that we're being invited into a season to cultivate a deeper hunger for God. Don't we want to be disciples? Is the church just oh, the church of Christ needs authentic disciples, apprentices of Jesus who are actually hungering after him? and patterning their lives around him. Fasting is a practice to offer our whole life to God. Think of Paul's line in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, not to please God, not to earn anything, but in view of his mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul's word choice here, offer your bodies, not your heart's, your bodies. Though the Greek word is soma, we get the word somatic. It means the whole person, including your body. Many of us grew up hearing of the need to give our, our hearts to Jesus. And that's beautiful and right, yes, of course. But he doesn't just call for our heart, he calls for all of who we are. Evangelicals, especially, maybe have focused on the heart over and above the body at all, because we've lost what John Paul II called a theology of the body, which is the truth that Really, we see this all throughout Scripture. We don't just have a body. We are a body. To separate the body from the soul is a very Greek, Gnostic way of thinking about the world. In the Christian worldview, in the biblical worldview, you are an embodied soul. You are your body, and what you do with your body or don't do matters. Of course, Jesus came in body. That's the incarnation. And we're going to have resurrected bodies, the resurrection. So our discipleship to Jesus is meant to take the body seriously. Apostle Paul famously said in Corinthians, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is in you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is a temple. Your body is a dwelling place for God. Your body is a home for God. And the body actually, in the end, is the sphere where our discipleship becomes real and tangible where it's not just an idea or even just a feeling that we have, but a practice, a, a way of life, as Jesus said. And so, in fact, one way to even think about discipleship generally, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It's an attempt to get the teachings of Jesus into our bodies, into our, our neurobiology, into our muscle memory. So that even when we're confronted by various situations, by conflicts or by someone who cuts us off on the, on the interstate or our kids throwing a fit or, or a conflict or, or someone whatever it is, we begin to instinctually respond as Jesus would. And fasting is one of the best possible ways to get the teachings of Jesus into our body. Back to Romans 12. We offer our whole persons, including our bodies, to Jesus in view of God's mercy, meaning we do this for him because of all he's done for us. Listen, we give up food because he gave up everything, we offer our body in devotion because he has offered his body for our salvation. This is a response. We fast for all sorts of reasons, but that is the primary reason we fast. Not to get something from Jesus, not to manipulate God, but to give something to Jesus. To offer our worship, as Paul puts it. To offer our love, our affection, our devotion. And So to summarize, Jesus assumed that you, his disciples, at some point would practice Fasting. And so I invite you to practice fasting together this Lent. Let's learn how to do this together. But he never commanded fasting. Neither did the apostles in the New Testament. They all fasted, but they never laid down a regimen for you to follow. So you don't have to fast. It's not required. Let me be very clear. You cannot be more loved or less loved by God than you already are right now. You are beloved, and our fasting is a response. But I do invite you to fast because Jesus fasted. And then he turned to you and he said, come, follow me. Practices like fasting and prayer and Sabbath, they're how we follow Jesus, how we open up our whole person to his grace to be transformed. Now, my own experience with fasting, I'll end with this, has been a little bit haphazard and mixed. It hasn't been a super regular part of my life. But I've tried it, and sometimes it's felt really emotionally significant. I'll share one example. When I was 25, I was in Youth with a Mission in Hawaii, and I committed to do a three-day fast. And instead of going to the dining hall to eat, I went to the prayer room. And by the way, don't just fast from food. Spend a little bit of time in prayer, even if it's simple. Sincerely pray the Lord's Prayer in 60 seconds or take five minutes, but replace your meal with prayer. So I went into the prayer room three times a day instead of eating for three days. And on day one, I was uncomfortable. On day two, I was miserable, and day three, felt heavenly. Uh, I did feel the Father's reward, truly. I sensed Jesus' closeness like I seldom have. The best way I can put it is I just felt like my whole soul, my whole inner being was like still waters at peace. But other times, I've attempted to fast. The outcome was really nothing like that at all. Um, I was just hangry all day, Honestly. (laughs) So, with that in mind, keep this in mind as I invite you to fast. Practices like fasting are not formulaic. We don't do them to control God. We cannot control Him. You may experience Jesus powerfully through fasting, or you may just feel tired and cranky. So, our goal is not to control Jesus, but to surrender to Jesus. And really, this is the key to all spiritual disciplines as you practice them abandon outcomes abandon outcomes. Don't constantly be saying, did I get anything out of that or did I like it or not or did I immediately feel it's not helpful. Trust the wisdom of the church, trust the wisdom of the scriptures, and practice these disciplines and trust that eventually on the other side there will be a reward for you. In other words, just offer yourself, surrender yourself to God through fasting, and abandon the outcome. That's the invitation. This practice is going to be far, far more powerful if you commit to engaging the guide that we have available throughout the week. Unfortunately, we sold out in the first service. You can get them on Amazon for $14, Um, Practicing the Way, the fasting practice. Lisa also included a link in the newsletter. You can download a digital version or a printable version. So I'd really encourage you to do that. It's going to make the whole experience much more meaningful. It's going to help you reflect on the experience because we don't usually grow just by doing stuff. We we grow by doing stuff and then reflecting on it. So it's going to help you reflect. It's also going to give you a lot of tips. Tips like, please drink your morning coffee, if you usually drink coffee. You don't want to be fasting with a caffeine headache. Go ahead and drink your coffee. Drink lots of water. Um, Other tips like that. It's going to remind you of some of what we've covered here and take you deeper so please engage that here's a very practical invitation many of us are going to be fasting on Wednesdays from morning to sundown if that works for you awesome spend a little time in prayer during breakfast and lunch as you fast if that doesn't work for you pick another day that works for your schedule that's fine I really believe I, I really really believe and if you don't if you're still skeptical if I haven't made the case that's fine I believe for you that if we give ourselves to Jesus through this practice as a body, we will discover what millions of followers of Jesus have discovered. Outside of the West are still discovering, and the church throughout history has long, have long said is true. This is one of the most powerful disciplines for the spiritual life. So if you want to offer your body and all that you have in love to Jesus, this Lent is a great time to join in and practice fasting together. Father, would you grace us with a hunger for you? We don't want to just do religious stuff. We want to hunger after you more. And it is only by your grace we can even do that. So I pray that you would grace me and all of us who are attempting to practice this with a deeper hunger for you, that through our attempts to fast, you would deepen our hunger for you. Only you can satisfy Would you give us dissatisfaction with every other source of comfort and security that we go to and satisfy our hearts in you? We pray this in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.